With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Real Military Spouse Radio Show. Here's your host, Dave Evers. here in Germany. It puts it at about noon in Texas, and we're ready for Male Military Spouse Radio Show, our 65th episode. Can you imagine that? 65 episodes already. Been at it for now, what, about a year and a half, almost two years now. There's been some off periods in which we haven't had a show. Sometimes we do, and you know, and, and it's, um, it is a live call-in show, and those of you that might just be listening and you don't see the link where you can call in, Feel free to do so because it uses the Skype engine to get you into the show. I've got a guest already in here right now. I got Ryan Nelson online. Good morning, Ryan. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm great. How are you? Hey, you're a first-time caller. You've never done this before, have you? No. Well, at least, I just want to know what this show. is all about. So you know, hey, you know, so I'd check it out. You know. Yep. Yep. Well, it, it's right now. It pretty much is an anything goes show. It's always been an anything goes show. Um, May I talk about ESGR and what we do to help the men and women of the Guard and Reserve? Yes, you can. Okay. Well, hello everyone. My name is Ryan Nelson. I'm a I'm a volunteer for the Louisiana Committee of the Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. We are in we are an office of the Department of Defense. We were created in 1972 to assist the men and women of the Guard and Reserve. Um, through conflicts that arise through our USERRA law, which is the Uniform Services Employment Reemployment Rights Act. We have a very robust ombudsman program in all 50 states across the U.S. and also in, and in Hawaii and Puerto Rico and Guam. So, you know, we pretty much have a footprint everywhere throughout the U.S. So, you know, when conflicts arise with your civilian employer through your Guard and Reserve commitment, we have our USERRA program to help enforce those laws. So that's one piece that we do. In addition to that, when your employer does what they're supposed to do and they go above and beyond, we have a very robust awards program that we recognize supportive employers to support the men and women of the Guard and Reserve. And also, with tying in the mill spouses, you know, if they support the mill spouse, the mill spouse can nominate the employer for an award in addition to the service member. So not only do we help service members, we help mill spouses as well. And in addition, we have our very robust here at a hire program, which um, assists guardsmen and reservists and mill spouses to find gainful employment. Excellent, excellent. And a lot of people don't recognize that, that as far as the military is concerned, and, and on the spouse side here, we're used to the fact that we see Army, we see Navy, we see Marines, we see Air Force, but we forget about the other two components of the military that are the Guard and Reserve, which actually get combined as one, 
and that yep. is regular military. And then, of course, the Coast Guard, which is a part of the uh, Department of State. Uh, well, actually, no, it falls under Homeland Security. Unless we're in time yeah. war, and then it goes to Department of State, and then it becomes realistically as part of the, the military. But all of the benefits of being in the military is extended to all six branches. And now, do you guys, there, there is a, a reserve and a, a guard and a reserve for the Army. There is a reserve for Navy and a reserve for Air Force. Yes. I'm not sure about Marines. Is there there is a Marine Reserve? Yes, bet, a Marine I, I, actually, um, we 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 call it the Seven Seals. We we cover the Army National Guard, the Air National Guard, the Army Reserve, the Marine Corps Reserve, the Navy Reserve, the Air Force Reserve. The, uh, let me let me see. Um, the, the awards right here in front of me. It's the Army National Guard. It's the Army Reserve, the Marine Corps Reserve, the Navy Reserve, Air National Guard. The Air Force Reserve and the Coast Guard Reserve. We cover we cover all seven seals, all seven branches of the reserve component. So that's actually huge. Yep. That's almost bigger than any one branch by itself. Possibly yep. two branches. And, and then, in addition, here in my home state of Louisiana, if anybody's in the Marine Corps Reserve, we have a ESGR has RCC Reserve Component Coordinators. That if any problems within that branch of service arise, say you need to be on the five-year exemption with your orders or just anything, you, know, you can call one of our RCCs located throughout the U.S. and they can help you with any conflicts that arise. The only one branch that doesn't have an RCC is the Coast Guard. That's just their kind of thing. And then, you know, the, the Army National Guard and the Air National Guard handle their stuff in-house. So that's why those right. two branches have RCCs. Now, explain to us again the acronym that, that you fall under, the ES... ESGR, Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve, but pr primarily we also fall under FEP, which is Employee, Employer, Family, Empl Employer, Family and Policy and Programs, FEPP, FEP. So, so not only do we do our ESGR program that covers our H2H program and also our, our Yellow Ribbon Reintegration Program, YRP, which for returning service members is kind of like of a, you could say, kind of like of a shutdown, kind of a calm down time where they come back and they learn about services after a deployment, get the help that they need, and we connect them with the VA and educational benefits and things like that. So, you know, we also do a lot of yellow ribbon programs also. Right. Okay. So how much of it, how much, uh, right now you work with the employer employers to make sure that the guards members and the reservists are able to keep their jobs, right? Yes. Yes. It's because in the past it's been a it's been a royal pain. Uh, oh for yeah. Those of you that are, for those of you that are out there that are listening right now and are wondering what are we talking about? What what are what is this in, in, in essence revolving around? You have to remember, dear listener, that the military has been around for over two hundred years because our country has been around for 200 years. In the past, there has always been those people that get out, but they still want to be active in the military, so the reserves yes. were created so that they could continue their support of the active duty military. 
And in the process, the government looked at, at, at the, the fact that we have an active military, and they said, okay, we need to cut costs. We have all of these reservists who are standing by, ready to jump back into the mix. Let's bring a couple of them in. We can trim down our military because we have all of these reservists that we can bring in. We'll activate them. And they make them back to being active duty, filling the necessity, the gap that is required for whatever the reason being, usually in a conflict of some sort. And that's all fine and dandy. But these are people that were taken out of the military. They no longer were full-time military. They got jobs. They got, they built families. They built businesses. They made commitments that now the military, that now the government says, whoa, slow down. You wanted to be actively involved, so we're bringing you back in. You have to put all of that aside. Fine. We're, we, we are veterans. We are reservists. We can do this. Not a problem. Be happy to. I've, put, I've laid my life down for the military, for the for government. I've laid it down for my, my, my country. I can easily do this. In the meantime, the, the, the employer is going, yeah, you just fucked me. I now know. I now I have a hole here. I've got somebody I need to fill. So screw you. You're going back in the military. Fine. Government can take care of you. You just lost your job. Kind of sucks, don't it? Sucks so bad that we had to enact laws. We had to make sure that policies were made. And that's all fine and dandy. But it doesn't mean that the employer is actually doing it. It takes a watchdog to do that. Thus, we have Ryan and his group. Ryan, take over. Yeah, which it's uh, which it's funny you mentioned that uh, we we were at our um our, our um annual conference once a year ESGR volunteers from across the state we all get together in a centralized location say New Orleans Baton Rouge and we all hold an annual meeting and we were very fortunate to have our national chair um, Paul Mock who is out of the Army Reserves um, and let me just tell you why Paul Mock out of the Army Reserves is our national chair because for the longest time ESGR could not connect with the Army Reserve we cannot go out and do unit briefs. We cannot go out and do outreach days. We couldn't even get into a unit. And when when our when 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 the chair before him his term was up, that's why we sought somebody out of the Army Reserves to bridge that disconnect. And now with him in office, we can connect much easier, and things are getting better. But it's funny that Dave mentions that because um, at our national leadership meeting that our state chair went to. Retention has been a big problem. They didn't want to go. Well, I want to re up, but I don't have the commitment of my civilian employer. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm just gonna, I'm just not going to re up. You know, um, the the one of the state chairs in West Virginia had went to the national chair. There was an officer in the Marine Corps Reserve, an officer, not just our enlisted person, our officers too. He goes, I'm not going to re up because I just can't take that chance. I can't, I can't not lose my civilian job and just I can't risk it so I just I gotta not re-up and that's just we don't like to hear that so we are trying to work on that to do um to do um certain things to be able to retain those men and women so that way we don't have retention problems and on top of that there's a lot of people out there that now no longer is it a requirement that you serve in the in active duty to be in the reserves, 
or to be in the guard. The guard itself actually is on a it is on a state level per se, but it's still you know like the army guard. The army guard belongs to the governor of that particular state, but they're trained by the army, and thus they are an army component. So the yeah. army can then yeah. all of a sudden say, hey. I need you over in the desert. I need you to be go play in the sandbox, and you take over this this FOB front forward operating base, the FOB, uh, in this particular area that's not receiving that much business. Or, as in the case in my hometown, we had uh, the reserve component. They did construction, and when the regular army and the Marines and NATO forces got done with an area, they would bring in the guard units from my state of Arizona, my, my hometown area, state of Arizona, the construction yep. guys go in there and rebuild that community. See, we don't just kick people's ass. We don't just displace uh, uh, indigent families. We rebuild their communities. Absolutely. Infrastructure, and we give them something that we give them hope. And where we give them hope, those people that we go in there and we actively combat against their enemies, we help them rebuild. And it's not the Army, not the Navy, it's not the Air Force, it's not the Marines, it's not the Coast Guard. It is the National Guard, and it's the reservists yep. that go in there to do that work. Yes, so, which, uh, Dave, that, that's another great point that you bring up. Um, do realize that when you're on stateside duty under the, under the authority of the governor, your USARA protections and things are limited and a little bit different. But then when you're on full-blown federal Title X, you're activated by the president, you get the full-blown USARA protections. So do realize that. Like here in southwest Louisiana during the recent floods, they were activated by the governor. So they'll still get the protections and some certain things, but they were on uh, the state authority. So they use their protections are different than versus being on federal duty. And that's only if they're being activated on the government, on the governor's side, on the state side. But if the federal government gets involved, and that's where the governor says, okay, fine, you can take my guard. You can take certain portions of my guard. There's still... You still have the employer that looks at it and saying, wait a minute, you know what? It's not right that you leave me hanging with needing somebody to work. So there has to be protection that prevents that, that employer from, say, from, from, from taking your job away. Now, right. there are certain limitations to that, are there not? As limitations as far as what? As far as how... The an employer. Let's say let's say I was running a feed store. Okay. And one of my and one of my uh, one of my foremen, the guy who handles bringing in all of the hay and making sure that it's it's stacked correctly, it's labeled correctly, has employees under him. He also is a captain in the Army National Guard. Right. And they don't just go for their their one their two weeks uh, two weeks a year for drill, and they're once a week in the month. But instead, they go and actually get deployed to Afghanistan. This right. Yes. There is certain protection. 
There, there is certain protections, like 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 from one to thirty days, like that covers your drill. You're allowed to go to drill. You you have to be allowed a seven hour rest period after the active duty period, and you must report to work the the the, the, the next regularly scheduled work day. And then as you get extended out there, we we do it benefits of seniority, pay, training, uh, pre service deployment position, escalator position. Um, like like you can't demote you can't demote someone when they come back just to be slight. You can't say oh 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 well you were a foreman in the feed shop. Oh well then we're gonna make you a we're going to bump you back be, down to do yeah, a you're feed help. Buck and hay. Sorry, you're going to be bucking hay because we gave your job to this other guy and he's had it for the, the, the past nine months while you've been overseas. We can't just put him out. Right. right. I do just want to mention one thing real quick. I am, I am not an ESGR ombudsman. I cannot give advice. So just please be aware of that if anybody is in the Garden okay. Reserve Please do not take right. what I say to heart. If you do have a problem, please call our national hotline at 1-800-336-4590. And What's that number? 1-800-336-4590. And please select option one for our national call center where we have uh, highly trained um, ombudsman case coordinators that will take your case. And if you have a USERA inquiry, they'll answer it. And then no claim will be made. But then if you have a claim, it's, they're going to upload into the system, and then it's going to be assigned back to the state committee where you're domiciled at. It's like, let's say, let's say you drill here in Louisiana, but you live in Texas. you got to go to the Texas committee, and you can't go to the Louisiana committee. So do be aware of that. Hey, we got somebody at the door. Somebody's calling in wants to join in. Who have we got? This is Jay. Well, hello, Jay. How are you, sir? Uh, a, a bit busy, sorry. I missed the earlier oh, you're fine. From... You're, you're fine. You're fine. Not a problem. This is Jay Howe. He is our, he's the co-host uh, co for Bail Military Spouse Radio Show. You, I, I, I omni-domni made you that, what, about uh, three or four shows ago, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, Jay, we have Ryan Nelson on the, the, the line, if you haven't been listening. Ryan is a sponsor for uh, a, a spokesman for uh, ESGR, and yes. if you're not familiar with that, uh, Ryan can answer any questions you have for the uh, employer. What does ESGR stand for again? It's Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. We we we. We, this, this, this is our this is our mission in a nutshell. We 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 award supportive employers. We uh, we 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 we, we dispute conflicts under under we dispute conflicts under USERA, and then we also assist with um, uh, obtaining gainful employment. That's our that that's our pretty much our mission and vision in a nutshell is to create a culture in which Guard and Reserve Service is valued by all civilians and employers, or civilian employers. It's pretty healthy stuff. Uh, now, what exactly do you guys do as far as the Naval Reserve? Um, well, um, out there in the in the southeast sector in New Orleans, um, the the vice chair, we he he attends regular events out there, and we do certain things. Or he'll brief the family readiness officers and things like that, and just certain little things. Or if they ever need anything, or we'll do boss lifts or briefings with the boss. It just depends on what they need. 
Is there a J? Of course, is the works at the. Uh, go ahead, Jay. I'm the ombudsman for the Naval War College. I also am the ombudsman for Naval Leadership Ethics Center, senior enlisted command or senior enlisted academy as well. I mentor other spouses through the Compass program called Setting Sail. I okay. mentor spouses at uh, Command Leadership School. I also sit on the Portsmouth Prevention Coalition Board as the sustainability chair. So I'm pretty much everywhere. Okay. Do you know Leon Hill, our reserve component coordinator for ESGR? He's stationed in Marfor Res in Virginia. Uh, I am not familiar with anybody in your neck of the woods, but I do follow you guys on Facebook, though. Okay. Yeah, we um in in the Navy Reserve, we we have a reserve component coordinator. He's in Virginia. And any type of issues that arise out of the Navy Reserve with the SGR, he handles it, and kind of is the conduit between the Navy Reserve and ESGR National. So. Right. Pretty healthy stuff here. Do you do much at the Naval War College uh, in teaching the folks, uh, teaching your students about uh, uh, how to work with and, and things to be involved with, with when it comes to Naval Reserve? As for me, I don't teach anything at the War College. I'm the ombudsman. I am the information link between the command leadership and the command families. Okay, right. Okay, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, do you uh, I need to rephrase the question then? The question mm -hmm. is, do you encounter much dealing with Naval Reserve and how um, the, the, the sailors that are in the Naval Reserve are treated by their, their employers? Uh, I, I don't really encounter too many reserves, no matter what branch. We do have some reserves that do attend the War College, but it's normally in the nighttime courses. So I don't really encounter them from a day-to-day -day perspective. I do every now and again when they do come in for extra coursework or whatever in that day, but uh, it, it's rare for me to encounter them on a day-to-day -day basis. Right, right, right. Okay. Oh, and then I also do want to mention one thing about college benefits and being in the Guard and Reserve. Unfortunately, since it's not gainful employment, you there is really no protection per se, but there is a memorandum of understanding at ESGR National. And I think in some states you're allowed to withdraw, with at least with an incomplete, or you're allowed to withdraw without penalty, and you're allowed to come back and finish once you're able to without penalty, and you shouldn't have a problem. But unfortunately, there is no USERA protections for education. And like in, in most state and private universities throughout the U.S. Didn't they recently change, uh, I think it's the college tuition rate or something like that uh, for the reserves component side? Oh, you mean with the GI Bill? Yes. Uh, it's funny you mention that. I was here at a Army, Na Army, Army National Guard unit and they had a retention workshop that weekend. And uh, I didn't really see anything as far as the changing with the rates, as far, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe they did change the rates. It's just that um, I, I do know you're allowed to go to some trade schools without a high school diploma. They do allow, like, but you're dependent. I do know that because they like you want to become a welder, and most people that go to welding school don't have a GED or have an equivalency. They're allowed to do that. I know they cleared the pathway for that. I don't know if anything as far as we're changing the rates. Hey, I got a new caller that just wanted to come in. Who have I got? Hello. Who's the, who's the new caller? 
Dan Hogan. Hey, Dan, how are you doing? Hey, not bad, man. Having some lunch here. How about you? Oh, hey, I'm having beer and whiskey. Um, <laughs> I got Ryan Ryan Nelson on the line with uh, EG, ESGR. I got Jay Howell online also, our co-host, of course, with, uh, and he's with uh, Ombudsman of the Naval War College. And Dan, what, what do you do in real world? Uh, I'm a welder. I went to a school welder. in Texas. Yeah, I got my diploma for that. And um, right now I'm just unemployed, taking care of my son while my wife is uh, doing her job. And what does she what does she do? She's a aviation airman. Good job, good for her. Good for her. She's on deck of a of an aircraft carrier, huh? Hey, hey, Dan. She's on deck of an aircraft carrier. Yes. Oh, I might have lost. Might have lost Dan. Yeah, we might have lost Dan. I didn't hear anything back from him on that question. It's possible. Uh, hey, Dan, feel free that uh, if, you, if you're not getting any responses from us, uh, feel free to oh, just drop out and call back in. Issue with my earbud. Oh, there he is. I'm going to jot down your number so in case you call back in, if you get dropped and call back in, I'll just put you right in without the doorbell. Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, Randy, um, the 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 change to the reserve component was reap benefits. That's what it was. Okay. Fine. I'm not. I'm I'm kind of not too familiar with the benefits. I do kind of know them a little bit off and on. Only if it you know if it if it's from national and it falls into our strategic plans and the executive advisor subcommittee and they go you know you need to know this and like I'll know it front and center but I don't really know a lot about the benefits. You'll have to forgive me. Oh, no, no, it's, it's fine. I just remember this came across my desk uh, last year uh, about the October time frame. REAP stands for Reserve Education Assistance Program. That right. Com- that program has completely been dropped and been taken over by the post-9-11 GI Bill. Okay. Okay, because see, in, in Louisiana, if you're in the National Guard or the Air National Guard, you get tuition exemption. So let's say after your tuition is exempted in Louisiana and then uh, – after everything's said and paid, you get a majority of your GI Bill back in your own pocket. That is pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I don't know if any other states do that, but... Guys, don't wait for me. Don't wait for me. You guys are doing great. Keep talking. <laughs> yeah, uh, we figured that you're out there busy uh, grabbing a beer or something or other. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy killing as many as I can right now. Uh, the original thing that I wanted to talk about uh, was something that Jay brought up, was the the Real ID Act that <clears throat> was uh, enabled back in 2005. Department of Defense put it out there that <clears throat> installations don't have to accept driver's licenses as a valid form of picture ID. And there are a few bases and posts that do not allow that to be used at all. <clears throat> so there was something new came out that I haven't read about. Jay, fill me in on that. Okay, so the 2005 Federal Real ID Act was, an enact, was enacted after 9-11. And it is actually a security measure. 
So all your state IDs, your driver's license from all the different states must meet federal criteria stating that you have, like, uh, security things on it, like holograms, things that are harder to make and produce on a, you know, legal production scale kind of thing. It just it increases the difficulty of making fake IDs. So there are several, several states, I'm going to say almost half the states are not even in compliance since 2005. There are only a few states are actually in compliance with the law that is actually clear and above board. There's a, quite a few states that actually have extensions, meaning that they still don't quite comply with the 2005 Real ID Act, but the, the federal government has forgiven them and excused them until October of this year. If they do not comply with the, the law or file another extension to get the technology to get those IDs up to par in, you know, via security standards, then uh, their IDs will no longer be accepted at any federal building site that requires an ID to be shown. So, like, for instance, your FBI buildings, military bases, things like that nature, where you actually have to show your, your ID. Now, your military ID comes from the DOD, so therefore they are federal law compliant. So every time when I see this article come over and over again, I see spouses kind of go bonkers to the wall and start panicking. How else are you going to get mom in? Because mom's got to come in and take care right. of Okay, so my thing is that no. it doesn't affect military ID card-carrying families. Now, when I say that, that means exactly what it says, military families. That means right. if the, the military family as the military sees it, service member, spouse, and dependents, that is the military right. family. I'm not talking right. about mother-in-law, father-in-law, brother, cousin, sister, uncle, aunt, whatever. They're right. not considered military family. If they were considered military family, the military would have issued them IDs as well. Now, no, 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 no. If, you can't say that anymore. You can't say that anymore. It's not right, but... But, but. Right, but you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. they, they are family, yes, to us, the, the, the families themselves, they're, they're family. But to the eyes of the military, they're not within right. their little criteria box, which is fine. Yeah. Now, if you're going to host, the problem in lies is that there, there's a, a few spouses that did make this great point. What if I live in base housing and I want to host my family for like a week? And they from they come from one of those states that have those IDs that are non-compliant. Okay, right. so up until October of this year, as far as I know, on the big scale picture, now again each base is going to be a little bit different because it's up to the commanding officer to say whatever they're going to say or do whatever they're going to do. But from the big standpoint, they should be allowed on base via your military ID as a sponsor. Now, if you're yeah, talking like um, change of commands and things like that, where you have advanced warning that these things are going to be happening, you can send in all their information to pass an ID several weeks before and allow them time to vet that person before they even get to the base. So when they do get to the base and you sponsor them into the pass an ID office, which normally is located outside the base, they know who they are and they can give them their pass. To okay. get on to bait for the day. Okay. And so, that, uh, doesn't that already happen? 
Which part? The part where they're denying people or the part that uh, people well, are going no, where, I, where I am seeing them deny it, and, I, and I've seen this firsthand, I saw, I saw a family that came in to uh, Fort Sam Houston. They wanted to see their daughter, I think it was, daughter, maybe it was a son, I don't know. But I do know that they came in and they said, we are here to see the graduation ceremonies of my service member get their certificate that says they are now an army nurse. And I was told all I had to do was come here and show you my driver's license and they got turned away. They got turned away. Is it the reason that they got turned away because their driver's license was not an enhanced ID or was it that they didn't get vetted ahead of time? You it's probably a, a bit of both. Because now with the Federal Real ID Act coming to a close, especially, again, in October of 2016, this year, all those states that filed an extension, that extension runs out. So now they're locking down and trying to get that into effect already. But okay. at the same time, since they didn't call and put on the list because there's nobody sponsoring them that says, yes, I'm vetting them, they are my parents, I'm bringing them on with me. You know, like how you can go pick up uh, – a couple of friends, oh, i got to make a quick stop at the commissary or at the package store, whatever have you, and you can drive in with a couple of people in your car, show them your military ID, and you're vetting yes. them in. You can yes. kind of get it. With this, what you just, the scenario that you just laid out, they have nobody vetting them in. So they will be stopped at the gate no matter what, even if they had a compliant ID. If their name is not on a list somewhere that they've been vetted someplace else because they don't have somebody sponsor them on, they're not going to get on base no matter what. Well, that's kind of true. I know of a place that they can. And that's Ramstein Air Base here in Germany. <clears throat> if, I, if I was to take and an me as a dependent was to go into the pass an ID place, with all of the information of the people that I'm trying to get to come on post in a month, and, and, and I give them something that they can use as a picture ID, they will issue a paper ID that is good for the period of time in which they will be coming in and out. It scans into their system. It pops up that they exactly. are in the system and they keep that piece of paper, unlike yep. the old method, which was you had to take them in with you, with your ID, into that very office. They verified that that is indeed the person that you are vouching for. Them. You sign the paperwork. They take your picture. They give you a piece of paper. And that piece of paper is taken at the gate because as soon as they leave, that's it. They're done. No more. That's exactly what I just said. But um, I can I can do them up ahead of time without them even being present. That's what I just said. They have to be vetted with information several weeks before. So doesn't this new Real ID Act require that they do walk in and get the picture taken? The Real ID Act just shows that the states are in compliance with federal law, making. IDs harder to manufacture. So there's security okay. settings on those IDs. So if you take your ID out right now, 
and you flip it to the side, you see that there's a holographic image on there, or there's multiple yes. print, or there's watermarks, or any of those security features on these IDs. Those I got IDs, holographic images on mine right now. I'm looking at them and I'm flashing them in the in the and light. That is above what you're supposed to have. Not every single state has those type of markings. Well, I'm so looking at my driver's license. Have those my not compliant with the federal ID act. My Arizona those, driver's license. I have on my Arizona driver's license. I have a hologram that has the state of Arizona and the word canyon. Hologram. Right. So. Those, those type of IDs that have those type of markings, those security markings that Homeland Security requires, those IDs are compliant. All those IDs that, or the states that don't have those markings are non-compliant. So what happens with those is that you get the gate and you say, oh, uh, so-and-so is graduating today and I haven't been vetted. I didn't give my information weeks in, the, in advance. I have nobody sponsoring me. Here's my ID from Washington. You look at the Washington State ID, they laugh at you, and they give it back to you, sorry, you can't come in. Because Washington is one of those few states that don't have those security features on their state ID. Right. So it's like, like, like um, well, like, let's, I'm looking at the article that, um, that uh, Rob put out in Military Wallet. It says, it says, and I quote, um, I'm going to read this a little bit. It says, due to the Real ID Act of 2005, Department of Defense installations will no longer accept driver's licenses from five states, according to a news release from the U.S. Department of Defense. Those states are Illinois, Missouri, New Mexico, as well as IDs from America, Samoa, and are no longer valid forms of identification for individuals who need to gain access to federal facilities. Non-enhanced licenses from Minnesota or Washington are no longer accepted. Enhanced IDs are available from Minnesota and, and Washington for an additional fee, and they are labeled enhanced identification license or enhanced ID card. What that's saying is, is that because the ban on the subsequent uh, ban on IDs is a consequence of the Real ID Act 2005 because most of the terrorists involved with the attacks on 9-11 had acquired driver's licenses from either Florida or Virginia, and Congress decided to, to tighten security around the ID issuance process and require more documentation of applicants who wish to get a driver's license. So what you're saying is, and what you're pointing out to us, is that we really need to just take a look at our our driver's license, which is probably going to be the same driver's license as mom and dad has, or brother and sister have, the ones that are coming in that are not part of your dependents list in years, and look and see whether or not you have a hologram or a watermark or something that's difficult to tell whether or not it was an enhanced ID. Do I have pretty much right there? Go ahead. What I'm saying is that you should go check the status of your state. If you go to Homeland Security, which is actually a dhs.gov forward slash real ID act kind of thing, you go there, it'll tell you what states are in compliance and which states are not. The main thing is that they need access to the base. If you're doing a change of command, if you're doing a 
any of those type of things, you know, retirement ceremony, whatever have you, that's on base, and they need access to the base, then you'll have a little bit more of a difficulty. I don't now, know if you're my first wife. If you, and you live on base, that's a little bit more difficult as well after October of 2016 if they don't meet compliance. Right. What I'm saying that if they need access, do they really need access to the base? I mean, they're just visiting. So. It's on the base. Yeah. Terry, you can't, they can't buy nothing in the commissary. No. Well, uh-huh. Unless you're going to go to the movies and your base will happen to have a movie theater or a bowling alley. But most of the stuff, you're not going to b- take them to base. What are you going to take them base for? If they're just coming to, to say hi and bye kind of thing. Hey, Jay. Uh, I, yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, Ryan or Dan, do you got any questions you want to ask Jay? Because he's pretty smart on this. Oh, no. Well, I just want to say on um, one thing, it's funny you mentioned that as uh, as ESGR volunteers, we're allowed military ID cards sponsored by our national headquarters you know, we can go to our state chair. Like I did, I said, I said, John, you know, I'm doing a lot of work going in, in and out of bases. Or like when, when we had our meeting at Camp Beauregard, I just flashed my military ID card and zoom right on through that we're allowed DOD ID cards, ESGR volunteers, because it clears the way you know, if we have to go to a base and do a brief or for a change of command or just to, that way we don't have to deal with those state driver's license and dumbing all the swoops. You know, we're just allowed to zoom on through as ESGR volunteers. We are allowed that privilege. For those of us that don't hold on like I do because I have no military time. Just wanted to throw that out there. Right, but then no, see, the ID that you do have is compliance with the federal government because the federal government's giving you that ID. So you're right. good to go. Right. It's just that sometimes you are kind of limited. You you are allowed five uh, civilian ID cards per each state. If you do max out, I know like West Virginia, they maxed out and they're having to work with National to get some more added, or I guess they wait the next fiscal year go around when the quota opens up. So that is one catch also. Any civilians that volunteer in ESGR committee and they don't have to possess a military ID card, you're allowed five per calendar year or however, however it works. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have that much of an issue. I mean, when I went to the base, I would just have my wife call in and sponsor me. And then eventually I did get my ID card. The only issue I have now is trying to get my uncle as a dependent somehow so that we can get him an ID card. But I guess that's going to be its own jump. It shouldn't be that difficult of a thing for you to do if you are with him. Yeah, reason he, for you he, he him to the, him to your post. Do what's it? Yeah, he um he lives with me. I've been taking care of him for almost a year now. Like he's he's not like um ill or anything. He just really doesn't have family. So when his mother passed away and I was with him, um I basically you know made a promise saying that I would I would have him by my side wherever we go throughout the world. Um, the only issue is I have to figure out how I can put him under as a dependent. That actually is is not is not an impossible thing, but it'll have to be your wife that does it. So, yes, yes. And, um, She's going to have to be the one, but you may have to go through the process of having the court award you, which will subsequently include her. As his, um, as his uh, guardian. Okay. You may have 
you may have to get creative with it. Uh, uh, get some, you know, is 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 he is he does he have a mental disability that prevents him from being um, independent? No. It's just basically a, a, a pack or a promise between each other. Right. So, so there's nothing. So he's pretty much on his own. As if if you weren't around, he'd do just fine in the real world. Yeah, he would have to find his way. Yes. That's going to be really, really difficult then, because you're going to have to find some way in which the court will award you or her uh, guardianship over him, in order for the military to even entertain the idea of him being a dependent. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful that he is not that old, just in case anything were to happen and we were have to part ways. So my wife's kind of in the same situation in, a, in, in the manner of speaking that her and her sister, who is, you know, uh, eight, ten years older than she is, I'm not really sure how, how much, but they are, they're tight. I mean, they are really tight. My wife being the younger of the two, she's actually the older sister in the relationship. And as such, they really have that difficult time in which of being separated physically at all. And everywhere we've gone, her sister has come also, but on her own and got her own place, etc. Really hasn't done that exceptionally well because she leaves great jobs. To, to be close to her sister. So we've entertained the idea of possibly bringing her on as a, de- as a dependent, and there's no way to do it without declaring her, you know, mentally unstable. And or a ward she's not. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, she's it's, it's, just it's not that. that. It, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's way too hard. Yeah, because he's, he's really on the verge of... Um, collecting social security so for him to say you know i gotta part ways with you and i gotta go start a new life and get a new house it's almost it's kind of a smack in the face but it's reality yep and when it boils down to and it's one of the suckiest things in the world to deal with but you don't have to follow your wife wherever she goes you don't she has to go wherever the military sends her. She does. You don't have to. If you choose to, the military must provide the means to get you to go with her. But you're not required to go with her. You can do that, that geographical separation. That is your choice. Well, not the military. talking about that, when um, she, she had A-B school in Pensacola, Florida, and um, when she went to her C school over here in Camp Pendleton with the BAH, they were telling her that they were going to try to kick her out of the dorm or the barracks because they were paying for BAH and they were going to pay for the barracks here. So she was telling me that I actually I had to relocate, move over here. In other words, there was going to be a very serious financial situation. Last week, I, I literally called Pod, and um, I packed my house, and I, I drove straight over here. And luckily enough, um, there was an open at Sarah Method, and um, we signed a lease here. But um, even so, it, it, um, it was a hassle. Yeah, 
So it's going to be a hassle every time. Um, Always. <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing to notice is to, is to check her orders really close to see whether or not um, family can come with the PCS change. Uh, any school that's over 10 months, PCS is authorized. And family, or, I'm sorry, family is authorized to come with the PCS, the permanent change of station. And that means you and your family, your kids and the dogs and whatever, and all your household goods can come. But it's only 10 months long, you know, 10 or more months long. So that's always something to look at as to whether or not that would be a financial thing to do. You know, are you willing to, 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 to stop your job to be with her for 10 months to then relocate again because you may not be able to drop roots and get another job that is good enough to keep things going, to keep your career on track, and then have to pull up roots and do it again. So you may, it may actually behoove you to stay in one place for those 10 months. But that's something yeah, that really needs to take a good hard look at. Now, is this a relative, an in-law, or is that an uncle, you said? Look, I want to get technical. It's no bloodline whatsoever, but he's uh, he's been a very, very big um, figure of right. my life to motivate me to keep pushing okay. forward. So, yeah, the only way that you can make that person a dependent would be a ward of the court. So the court would end up having to uh, grant you uh, parental rights, if you will, or caregiver yep. rights kind of thing in order for you to be a military dependent. Because the only time that military dependency falls under would be Parents, you know, like in-laws and things like that, uh, children out of wedlock or, uh, you know, things like that. There, there's a different forms for it. So dependency for parents, dependency for children born out of wedlock, uh, dependency for full-time students, and dependency for word of the court is what the DD forms are. Hey, for those of you that are, those of you that are listening in and you, need, and you want to call in, jump in. And join the conversation, 516-453-9167. I'll say that again for you a little slower. 516-453-9167. Be sure to use Skype if you can, because then you will have no lag in your phone conversation. It'll be about the same as us, because I use what is called Direct Connect to get into the, the, the system here. That's done through Skype, and anyone who uses Skype will hear me, will be able to interact with the show in what feels like a regular phone call. Remember, I'm in Germany. Y'all are elsewhere. <laughs> so, okay, I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Um, we'll take a quick six break. If I'm not back in time when the end of the, the commercial can you jump in and you Hey, Dan. Um, Hello, Jay. Yeah, I'm still here. You're breaking up pretty okay. bad, though. Okay. If, if, yeah, I, if I haven't gotten back by the end of the commercial, um, just jump right in and continue on, okay? Sure thing. You got it, buddy. Here we go. It's a commercial break. Is your current financial state keeping you up at night? Unsure how you could possibly save for retirement with such a tight budget? 
But one of today's sponsors is the Military Guide for Financial Independence and Retirement, written by Doug Nordman and is available through your local library or for purchase on Amazon. This book shows service members, veterans, and their families how to reach financial independence and retire on their terms and, in my opinion, should be required reading for all man spouses. There are no tricks or gimmicks, just thoughtful spending and a higher savings rate. Most military families can do this within 10 to 20 years, and a few have done it even faster. All of Doug's royalties are donated to military charities, so you know he's financially independent without your money. So, get your copy today from the library or buy one at Amazon. The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement, written by Doug Nordman. All right, Dan, you still there? Yes, sir. Yeah, so you're actually on the Facebook, the Mel Military Spouse Radio Show Facebook page, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so I'm going to give you a link on that last, uh, let's see. I can't post it on that one. Um, I'll, I'll try and tag you in on this one, but here's a link where you can go at DFAS to find out what the what, what's required and whatever not. See All right, thank you. I appreciate that. I also have the chat room going, so if anybody's in the chat room, you could post stuff in the chat room, which I will add to the add to the uh, description later. Yes, in addition, if anybody has any general ESGR questions, I'm also welcome to answer them. Just remember, I am not an ombudsman, and I cannot answer any employer-related USERRA conflicts or any employer-related issues. Please call our hotline or use our, or, or use our form to file a USERRA complaint. I can answer anything except USERRA-based questions. Just wanted to throw that out there. Hey, Ryan, I'm going to throw out a whole bunch of stuff about you on the description uh, as well. Sure, sure, sure. Feel free to go over to the radio show link itself and um, add, add the post in there or just add it into the chat room, um, and then I can make sure that that gets out the way you want it said, okay? Sure. So if you help yourself, go right ahead. Uh, get it to me somehow, and I will make sure it gets put in correctly. I'll let you be the, the author of that. Okay. I'm on the military, the Room for Military Spouses Facebook, so I, can I just post it on there? You sure can. Okay, great, you. great. Great. And then and then maybe eventually um, I, we can do a little bit of coordination. I can get our um, – our national director of employer outreach, Tom Bullock. We can do it. Me and him can do a radio show together because you'd like Tom. He's really cool. Excellent. Um, now you know I will be. I, you're, where exactly are you at right now? I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm in Louisiana. You're in Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, I will be. I will be stateside in May. Okay. So I will be in Washington D.C. in May because of the uh, the, um, the what is it called? <laughs> I just got I just got made uh, uh, Armed Forces Insurance Army Spouse of the Year. So I'm one of the top six for the Military Spouse of the Year Award as put out by 
military spouse magazine. Oh, awesome. Well, well, you know, um, you can email me offline, and Tom Bullock is in, lives in Washington because he works at the Mark Center with ESDR National. Maybe you and him could meet up and, you know, kind of just connect and, hit a, and just kind of get a little thing going because he's a really good person to know. Well, there's the there is a there is a reserve spouse of the year, and I'm trying to find that out for you real quick so that you okay. can um, contact her. I'm the only guy in the bunch of the six, so let's see where is that? I'm a looking, I'm a looking. Not overly successful. <laughs> you definitely won that um that male spouse of the year award. I, I won the I won the Army Spouse of the Year award. I started out with just the Rhineland Faults, the Garrison Rhineland Faults uh, Spouse of the Year for here in Germany, but oh. I ended up in the top 18, which they picked three from Army, three from Navy, et cetera, et cetera. And I know I, you want. You want to know something really sad? One of the um, one of the um, that his parents were in the were, were in the Army National Guard in his state. He he won the Military Child of the Year, and he unfortunately passed away in a car accident. Yeah, I heard about that. That was that, sad. That was tough. That's real tough. That just. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> Did I? Did I get y'all choked up there? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're good. No, no, no. It takes a lot to get me choked up. It's just, it, it just, it just kind of gets me upset to see that people that do so good in this world have to always suffer the unfortunate consequences. But you know, oh, hey. don't say that. That makes it sound like I'm going to end up dying or something. I'm not. Gonna. No, you're not gonna. Don't say that. I'm not gonna say that. Now, the National Guard was won by Carol Loken. Okay. And she is, let me see if I can uh, get you her information real quick. I'll, I'll throw it awesome. out here for and what, and what state is she in? Or what? Nebraska. She's in the I um okay, well I'll have to get her in touch with Tom because I'm not I know the, I know they have a committee out there. I'm not too familiar with them, but you know, Tom is would be the best person. Yep. She is, he, 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 he goes she everywhere, out, so she says that the one thing she would want to accomplish for the MSOI title was the one thing is the ability to reach a wider audience about the onset of PTSD symptoms and other mental health issues sometimes well okay. after deployments in combat. I think even the service members oh, such um, as Yellow it is, Ribbon. Um, it, it, it is funny you bring that up too, Dave. Uh, recently, back a few years ago, as ESGR volunteers, we're, we're authorized not to do any mental health assistance. Or anything, but, like, we're authorized. If we're at an event and we see someone like speaking a million miles a minute and they're just all over the place and something's not right, like we're authorized to go to the commanding officer or the command sergeant major or whomever the senior enlisted person that would be for that respective branch and say, hey, you know, we got a problem. Um, and it needs, to, it needs to be fixed. But like we can literally take them in the office, sit them down, and say this needs to be handled by the end of the day today before we leave. Do something about it. I mean, we nice, say it good. a little bit nicer than that, but you know, we are authorized to do that. Yeah. Well, that's good because that's that there is a lot of that out there right now that's that's suggested that if you uh-huh. suspect something, make sure others know somebody that's in the position right. to be able to do something. Not necessarily that anything will happen because 
there may be something that, 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 that I mean, if I see something like that, if, if somebody I think is saying that they want to hurt themselves or something like right. that, I will. I am, I am trained with what I do through resilience, uh, resilience program in the Army. I'm trained that I will take them and put my arm around their shoulder and say, I'm right, exactly. until I get you the help that you're willing to talk to, be it a mental health uh, person or a chaplain. But all I, all I do is teach. I do not fix. I'm not a fixer. No. But I no. will not leave you alone. If I find, if I suspect you're in that position, I will make sure that I hand you off to somebody that can help you. Right, right, and also it's funny you mentioned that. that's like like with any SGR the 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 family readiness officers and the readiness officers within each respective branch, say the Army National Guard, any branches, they pretty much become our best friends and in those branches, and we work we work very very closely together and be we're like a conduit and share a lot of information and have collective resources together as one, so to speak. Right. right. Now I notice in your. Uh, it, it, you've got a lot. You've had a lot of uh, uh, good FaceTime with a lot of high-powered personnel. Uh, I take it you are one of the major spokesmen in the ESGR. Yes, actually, uh, actually, I, I serve as the public affairs director. I am responsible for the Facebook. I am responsible for the Twitter. I am responsible for our state content page. Any much, pretty much anything communication that falls under any realms with communication, public affairs, FaceTime in our state, I handle it and advise the state chair. We set a plan. We execute our plan. We reevaluate and visit our plan every so often. But pretty much anything with public affairs falls under me. Excellent, excellent. So you are the right guy to be talking to right now. And and which, um, you know, and which, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. It's also one thing I want to bring up. Any SGR, we have a diversity working group that you know we're we're trying to expand our volunteer base. That we just don't want the white fifty-year-old male that has the years of military service. That we want, you know, we we want we want women, we want minorities, we want college students, we want young people, we want people such as myself that don't have one second of military time, just want to give back and serve to a mission and a common cause. You want to volunteer? That's okay. We'll take you aboard. And so we're trying to do that also and kind of break that demographic. Nice. Yeah. I just noticed something. Uh, uh, Carol Loken is on, on is online right now. I'm seeing whether or not she wants to call into the show. Okay. So hang in there, Ryan. We just might have might get you connected with the uh, the the National Guard person, and we get it all recorded right on the awesome. radio. Awesome. So that we'll see how that works out. We'll see whether or not she calls in. Okay, or if um, yeah. not, we can always talk offline, so. That'll work, yep, absolutely. Hey, Dan. Yes, sir. Are you, you still with us? <laughs> yes, sir. I am not. My wife called. She said, hey, I'm coming home. Can you make me lunch? <laughs> well, there you go. What are you going to make her? Well, it's Good Friday, so it's going to be tuna fish and crackers. Tuna fish and crackers? Really? Tuna fish? Are you serious? For them, just for today, I am. That's funny. I take it. I take it. Then she might. Uh, I, I don't mean to. I, I'm not trying to nail you down on, on any religious things or anything like that. But I take it she's Catholic. No. Um. This is that we do it. 
strictly for my uncle. His mother was Catholic, and that's the only real tradition that we do for Easter is we just don't eat meat on one day of the year. So yeah, I- um, we we just do it out of respect and remembrance of, of her. It leads for a very bad joke. I can't <laughs> would do I, it. <laughs> I've had enough. I've had enough booze in me that I'm ready to tell the joke. You know. Go you know ahead. what kind of meat? Okay. You know what kind of meat that uh, priests have on Fridays? Do tell. None. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do it. Okay. Anyway, back to tuna fish. <laughs> I'm going to have a shot after that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What kind of whiskey? you got to tell me. Um, I was still on so I got the Jeremiah Weed Sarsaparilla whiskey. Oh, you. Oh, you dickhead. Oh, that sounds so good. Normally, I just stick with the Jameson. Well, you can be you can be forgiven for some things. Yeah, when normally I to, stick with the Jameson Black Barrel, but today it's the Sarsaparilla. Kara uh, just said, "Oh, oh, oh, what did say? Uh-oh, I lost it. Where did it go? Come on, tell me." It says, "Oh no, was it good or bad? I would love to listen to your radio show." And um. Call the number, and you will be a part of it. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. (laughs) I know, Dave. Thank you for kind of having me on this impromptu thing. I was just calling to hear about the Real ID Act because it's kind of an issue we're facing in Louisiana also that our, our past governor, Bobby Jindal, refused to do the update. And if we don't get it updated soon, everyone's going to have to show their passport at the airport. And that's not too cool. I mean, I have a passport, but can you just imagine how many other people don't have passports? And you know what? It's, it's funny that I'm a, I'm a component that the Real ID Act is a smart, important thing to do because – Every other country in the world that's not considered a third world or a second world country requires all of their citizens to carry valid IDs, period. So this crap, this crap that the liberals throw out there that you don't have to have an ID to vote, you don't have to have an ID to go and get food stamps, you don't have to have an ID to to walk down the street and do something okay. criminal, and you you know you have to have some sort of papers on you to identify who you are to the authorities that you actually stop for. And Absolutely. so, I think the Real ID Act is a very smart and important thing. And I come from the fact that I was a a Navy submariner. <laughs> When it comes to what is the most critical to national security, in the Air Force, some of our 
our air superiority equipment, the planes that fly, they do not need to be in be where people can wander around freely. Exactly. Our submarines are the same way, and we had very, very, very strict controls on who could come on board a submarine, who could enter the submarine base. So I see this real ID thing here, and I'm wondering why the hell should we talk about this since I'm a component, I'm a a proponent of the Real ID Act being aggressively enforced. So, with that being said, should every citizen in the United States of America be carrying an ID card that is an enhanced identification card? I believe every state should have to do it, period. I don't care who you are. Should every citizen in the United States of America be required to carry a, a passport? I don't think they should carry it, but I think they should have one. So when they go to a, a, a an airport, they know they need to bring one. If they're going to get on board a train that is going across state lines, they need to have the passport. Not that it's going to get checked. Not that it's, you know, uh, something that they're going to go to jail for if they're not carrying it. But if they want to have that kind of ability to go from one jurisdiction to a major jurisdiction to another major jurisdiction, they should have something that shows who they are beyond a shadow of doubt. That way that way they don't have to lose their original birth certificate. They don't have to lose or carry their social security card, et cetera, et cetera. But right. I need to get off my soapbox because Jay has the actual serious information. He read this, he's been studying this, and he knows it better than I do. Go ahead, Jay. All right, I'm over here trying to do stuff for Dan and send him for. I'm here, guys, don't worry. But actually, I want to just say, I want to appreciate you guys having me on the air. Um, the wifey just came in. I'm going to go feed her. So I appreciate you guys' time, and uh, hopefully I can come to another show with you guys. So I'm going to let you guys know. You guys have a great day. Dave, enjoy your whiskey and your beer. The rest of you, sure. enjoy your day, and have a happy Easter. Hey, uh, Dan, before you leave, I did send you that link about the DFAS.mil military member secondary dependency stuff for the Marines. It's yes, there sir. on Facebook underneath the Military Spouse Radio Show, as well as on the live chat at the bottom of Blog Talk Radio, if you want to grab that before you head out. Yes, sir. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Right. Good deal. Um, anyway, Jay, can you talk about more about the Real ID Act? Because like Ryan said he, wanted, he needed to hear more about this because he had some, some, some particulars about it. Did you catch what he said? Yeah, I caught some of it, yeah. Um, it, it's because uh, the governor is not willing to extend, or I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the governor wanted to do wherever he's at. So, the, But uh, what it is is that if you go to the Department of Homeland Security's website, it will tell you all the outlines and the guidelines and everything else uh, for those things. Now, what really impacts the military – well, it doesn't really impact military ID-carrying families because we carry military IDs. 
which is compliant with the federal law. Now, what does impact us as families is our extended families that don't have those IDs. So as I keep saying is that there is a difference between the two. If you're one of those people that don't have a government, like federal government-issued ID, kind of ID for military, then you might be in a, a different situation. Passports are, are one way to go. Um, I'm not sure exactly if they're going to accept Social Security cards along with uh, birth certificates and things like that. At one point in time, they were contemplating about those kind of things, but uh, now it looks like it's mainly passports, and now they're doing it for domestic flights as well. So, again, it doesn't impact us who carry military IDs because they are compliant, and we can do the TSA pre-check stuff, so we're good to go on that. But if you're not one of those people, you're going to have to start bringing your passports with you. So their ID, I should, okay, I should give you this link as well down on the on my other computer, but it's dhs.gov forward slash real hyphen ID hyphen enforcement hyphen brief. Uh, let's see, dot .html kind of thing. And if you go there, or you just Google, um, what is it, uh, Real ID Act, and you'll get the, the secure, secure, what is it, uh, Secure driver's licenses. If you go there, you can see which states are in compliance, which states are not. This also affects territories of the United States, Guam being one that is not in compliance, but they have an extension up to October, Puerto Rico, America Samoa, things like that. <laughs> All righty. So if you go there, you can also see which states are – I'm sorry, where, where are you at? You said you, you're in Louisiana? Yeah, I already did look it up because my, my main interest is because Bobby Jindal refused to do the Real ID Act, and now our governor is um, taking care of it. I think a, I think a bill just left committee. I'll have to look all this up. I don't really know. I think it's going to go to both to both the Senate and the House for a full vote, and we should be in compliance before October 10th. Okay. Yeah, so October – Tenth is the cutoff. That's where right. all extensions expire. If the state that you're in decides to extend or file for another extension and the federal government approves the extension, then you'll be fined for another X amount of years, for a year right. to two years. But if they don't file for an extension, then you might end up having to go get an ID from someplace else and or get a passport is your actual real option. Right. I have a passport, so I'm good to go. I understand that uh, passports can get expensive, and they are expensive. Uh, oh, they are. They are. They most certainly are. Absolutely. But if you do plan being military, well, a lot of us are military, so passports are a good thing to have. You know, because yeah. if you get sent overseas, you have your passport, so you can go toward the countryside or whatever you're going to be doing. But that, that's the Real ID Act in a nutshell. It's just that they enacted, after 9-11, security protocols onto IDs to make it harder to illegally manufacture. And right. that's what the 2005 Real ID Act is all about. Yeah. It's smart stuff. It is. It's great stuff, and I, I'm sad to see that it's taking – over 11 years 
for states to comply with this act. It's just smart business to make sure that, hey, let's make IDs that is so much difficult to mass reproduce outside of what we have, you know, without it being illegal kind of thing. So it is what it is. I'm looking at the current status right now. So the non-compliant states and territories is, like you said, America, Samoa, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, and Washington. Now, the compliant right. and extension states and territories, so the, uh, the, the, the states that do have extensions are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. 25 states are not in compliance, but they have an extension. 25 states, that's half of the United States, are not in compliance. Half? Yes. Good there's 24 states. So it says the following states and territories have an extension allowing federal agencies to accept driver's license from these states until October 10th, 2016, which are Arkansas, California, Guam, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. Good Lord. So these people, once October comes around and those states and territories did not file an extension, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen to these poor people that have those IDs. Now, New York does have, um, I think that New York has a... The extended ID. The, what do you call those IDs? Uh, I don't know. Uh, not the extended ID. The, the shoot. The veteran IDs? No, no. Um, I'm blank on what they're calling them now. I'm not sure. You know where the the not the deluxe IDs? I forget what they're called. Oh, enhanced, enhanced. The enhanced, yes, the enhanced IDs. I, I think New York has an enhanced ID. The ones that do it for the, or not, well, there was what, there was like two states that that are offering them for an additional fee, and that's stupid. But there you go. We're just not quite influential enough to, to, to tell these people that that's just plain stupid? Um, when you think about why the law was enacted and what the law actually is trying to accomplish, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. You know, it's like, hey, you know, let's make it harder for illegal activity to take place, uh, terrorists to get new IDs or uh, yeah. falsified documentation, you know, to get IDs kind of thing. Let's make it harder for them. Makes sense. You know, let's protect our borders. Let's protect our, our, our citizens. And yet, it kind of it kind of falls under the same uh, the, the same feel of why do they charge a fee for something that really should be free? When the reason is we want to keep the riffraff out of this because those who cannot afford it won't get it. You follow what I'm saying there? Right, yeah. Um, and that, I, I, I've always hated that. That is something that's always just burnt, chapped my ass. Why does somebody have to come up with a, 
uh, a, a plan of, of, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, a really, really good example. You see it a lot when somebody says, um, we have this great idea. Well, you see it in sales pitches. You see it in sales pitches a lot where there is something that, that is just unbelievable, but you have to have $100 and you have to buy in for that $100 before we give you and put you in, involved with this whatever the heck it is. And the whole idea is is that, and, and this is what they say, is that only the serious will come up with that $100 because they don't want to miss out. And thus, once they get that $100, they come in and they sign up and they get all the information, et cetera, and they get their $100 back. But nobody ever tells you that because the whole idea was is to keep the riffraff out, to keep the ones that are out there just for the quick buck, uh, keep them away. And it, it's, come on, an ID card is an ID card is an ID card. Either your state can afford to put out an enhanced ID card or they don't. And if they don't, then don't. And make every single one of your citizens suffer and let them leave to a state in which and to, to relocate probably to a better job, probably to a better place to live, and be able to get that enhanced ID card, which is their driver's license, in that new state. Your state will I Don't get me started. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had too much to drink. So what it says here for the Real ID Act, in itself, all it says is the Act established minimum security standards for license issuance and production and prohibits federal agencies from accepting certain purposes, driver's license, and identification cards from states not meeting the Act's minimum standards. So the purposes covered by the Act are accessing federal facilities, entering nuclear power plants, and no sooner than 2016, Boarding federally regulated commercial aircraft. So again, it doesn't impact the military family that carries military IDs because military IDs are issued by the federal government and they meet those standards. So what you're saying is that as military families, we really don't have to worry about that at all. The fact that they're. That's what I, there's, I, I say that and I keep saying that. The only time that you're going to end up worrying about something like that is if you're going to, if you live on base and you want to host family that doesn't carry a military ID. Now, that's going to be a sticky, tricky situation if they come from a state that has one of those non compliant IDs. I would suggest okay. them people hotel rooms off the base and then just meet up with them in town someplace every day. Or if you want to do a change of command and just so happens you are the CEO spouse or the CEO family and you have family coming in from one of those states that are non-compliant, why don't you make the change of command off base? So that way everybody can partake. All so right, let's just take a look. Let's take a look at the individual states that have an extension that are that are not compliant, but I have an extension. And here's what I don't understand. It says the following states' territories have an extension allowing federal agencies to accept driver's licenses from the states until October 10th, 2016. Arizona is in that mix. Right. 
And I looked at my Arizona driver's license. Right. And my Arizona driver's license was issued. Hang on a second. I'm bringing it back out again. I put the damn thing away. <clears throat> I have, and I don't just, and, and maybe you want to bring up what the required, what is required to be considered an enhanced ID. I'm going to tell you what I have on my driver's license while you're looking that up. I have my picture on it. I have, uh, looks like uh, holograms. Like I said, it looks like the, the shape of the state of Arizona and the word grand. And it's multiple places across the ID. On the back side, I have the a driver's license number, when it expires, when it was issued, what class it is, the endorsements, the restrictions. It's got a barcode on it, and it has a magnetic strip. So back to the front. Other information that's available is, of course, uh, who I am, what my address is, what class of driver's license, what sex I am. Although it's not correct, it says M. It should say plenty. Uh, <clears throat> eyes, hazel, height. It says weight. It says hair. It's got my signature. And it's got a pretty decent picture of me. What is in compliance? Whatever Department of Homeland Security actually states meets their minimum requirements, whatever their minimum requirements okay. is. I can't see that right now because I'm having problems with my phone and my Roger. son is on my computer. So I'm on my wife's slow, slow, slow computer right now, and it's, it's gotcha. killing me. All right. I'm going to take a look. I, I got some. I have a brand-new computer. I'm doing the show on a brand-new computer, which reminds me I better go back over to make sure nobody's trying to get into the show. Looks like so far now. Uh, secure driver's licenses. Uh, it says preventing terrorists and blah blah blah. Travel documents are as important as weapons. Yeah, of course. Secure licenses and identification documents are vital components. Uh, they must be able to rely on government-issued identification, so so that the bearer can can sh show the document as to who. He or she claims to be real ID is coordinated efforts to improve reliability and accuracy, which should inhibit terrorists' ability to evade detection. Um, it says, continuing on, it's common national common sense national security law enforcement imperative helps you combat the identity fraud and illegal immigration. This comes from that uh, the DHS. Gov site uh, link that you sent me, Jay, which I will now tell everybody so that you can look it up yourself. www.dhs.gov. That is dhs.gov slash forward slash the one that's right under the question mark. Secure dash drivers dash licenses. Okay. Um, it's, there's a link in which you can check the status of your state regarding real ID, but the updates say, uh, well, it doesn't really say why, what real ID documentation is. I got um, it. That's what I'm hoping I can see what makes a okay, real so ID, real ID. Go ahead. I'm here at dhs.gov forward slash x library forward slash assets forward slash real ID act text. 
So it's a PDF file. It says minimum document requirements. To meet the requirements of this section, a state shall include at a minimum the following information and features on each driver's license identification card issued to a person by the state. Now, this was issued back a while ago, so I'm, I'm not sure if they have made any renditions to this or updates to this, but it's uh, nine parts. Part one is the person's full legal name, first, middle, last. Uh, okay. Number two, the date of birth. Number three, the person's uh -huh. gender. Okay. Number four, the person's driver's license or identification card number. Okay. Number five, a digital photograph of the person. Okay. Number six, the person's address of principal residence. Okay. Number seven, the person's signature. Okay. Number eight, physical security features designed to prevent tampering, counterfeiting, or duplication of the document for fraudulent purposes. Okay. And that could Which mean anything, you know, like holograms, foils, uh, microprinting, or whatever type of security device that they decide on. Uh, so that is kind of ambiguous. And then the last one is number nine, a common machine-readable technology with defined minimum data elements. So that is basically saying that my Arizona driver's license, which seems to have everything on it, that the, the, the snag is on the barcode and the um, magnetic tape on the back, does not contain the information that they want for the final uh, requirement. Well, that sucks. I mean, it does say with defined minimum data elements. What those elements are, I'm not too sure. They don't specify on those elements, nor do they exactly. specify on the security feature designed to prevent tampering. So I would think well, a hologram, a foil mark, watermark, uh, microprinting, anything on a dollar bill that you would normally see, if it's on that ID, you would think that's pretty good security measures, right? Well, my driver's license has that. It's an Arizona right. driver's license, was issued in 2011, and does not expire till 2024, when I am 65 years of age. Okay? That's the way Arizona does their driver's licenses. Right. You have a driver's license until you are considered a senior citizen, and then you get what is called a pioneer's license. And what that means is because real ID, my state is non will become non-compliant in 2020 with this current driver's license mm. I have in my possession. That means for the next four years, because I refuse, refuse no. to get a driver's license, renewed until the renewal date is up on my driver's license, I refuse to get this replaced. I refuse to have any other state require me to get a driver's license because the state of Arizona has me okay until 2024 and every state in the union must accept and recognize this driver's license as a driver's license, but the federal government through Homeland Security says I can't use this after 2020, as my proof of who I am. Thank okay, God, so got, thank God I've got a military is, ID. It might not be the ID itself. So now I'm reading further into the PDF. And now it, it covers minimum issuance standards. So it might not be the, the ID itself. It might be the, the actions to get the ID. 
So it says to meet the requirements of this action. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, am I okay? No, you're still breaking up a little bit. I think you've walked away from your Wi-Fi enough. <laughs> okay, how about now? That's much better. Okay, so it, it says right here that the minimum issues, issuance standards is uh, to meet the requirements of the section, the state shall require at a minimum presentation and verification of the following information before issuing a driver's license or identification card. A, a photo ID, ID document, except that of a non-photo identity document is acceptable if it includes both the person's full legal name and date of birth. B, documentation right. showing the person's date of birth. C, proof of the person's Social Security account number or verification the person is not eligible for Social Security account number. D, right. documentation showing the person's name and address of the principal residence. Now, special requirements under that section also state that to meet these requirements, you, you shall, uh, a state shall comply with the minimum standards of the, this paragraph, which would be evidence of lawful status. So, be a citizen or national of the United States, is an alien lawfully admitted for permanent or temporary residence of the United States, has conditional permanent residence status in the United States, for has an approved application for asylum in the United States, or has entered the United States in refugee status, Five has a valid, unexpired, non-immigrant visa, and so forth and so forth. So there's many, many different things. So it might not be the ID itself. It might be the way that they issue the ID. Or, I'm not sure. it, might, or it might be the database that gets connected to when you scan the, 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 the magnetic strip on the back or, or right. feed the, 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 the digital the damn barcode thing in the back. Right, the data element, um, yes. Yeah, it might not, the, the, their database may not contain the right information for them. Right, absolutely. Well, so I'm, I'm not sure what, anywhere what points that Arizona's failing at, but they're failing one of those sections. Exactly. And that's the only thing by looking at my driver's license. Well, there's one other thing that might be of, of, of interest that they might be saying the the, the address of primary residence. Well, it just so happens that the address of primary residence that I have on mine does not exist anymore. <laughs> so it's been that long since we've been back in Arizona. That trailer park, now somebody else lives in that trailer. Yes, I am trailer trash. Yeah, but then if you actually read Arizona state law, you're supposed to, anytime you change your residence, you have 30 days to comply of changing your identification or updating Unless, unless you are under active duty orders, and that includes right. dependents. And I don't have to because I, my wife is under active duty orders, and I am her dependent. I am not right. required. But that's but not... Realistically, I don't think too many people actually followed that law either. I mean, when I was in Arizona, and I moved around a lot, I never went back to the DMV and updated my address. Are you supposed to? Actually, yeah, I know. Actually, no, you know, come to think of it, um, until my driver's license got to the point where it was unreadable because uh, it was falling apart. Right. And I, and I could go back in and get a replacement for free because it was falling apart and it was shoddy workmanship. Long story short, uh, it used the same picture from before. It used all the information from before. 
I was able to update my draw, my address at that point, but it was being replaced because it was shoddy workmanship. I might, I might be able to walk into the DMV in my hometown where this was issued and have it changed for free because we were military. Now, if it was something that I did, like, you know, I got arrested or whatever, and, they, and in Arizona, if you have a, uh, uh, if you have your driver's license taken away for whatever reason, that reason, the paperwork involved with it will have your your driver's license stapled to it, and that's why the cops in Arizona will check your driver's license with their fingers. They're feeling for any staple marks on your driver's license. If you have staple marks on your driver's license, then you get run through the computer system. That cool? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I never, heard, I never knew that. Did you know that your driver's license, as well as your federal ID card, is a certain size so that you can hold it in the palm of your right hand? And do you know where? Do you know what the the mound of Mars is on the palm of your hand? It's that big ass muscle that's on the palm of your hand that your thumb is attached to. Okay. Who's ready? That is called the Mound of Mars. If you can take your driver's license, hold it on your second and ring finger, your middle and ring finger, putting your index finger and your little finger on the two on the top and the bottom edges, and slide it into the into the palm of your hand so that the that the far facing you right side touches the mound of Mars, that the finger joints on your middle and third finger should should wrap over the edge of the ID and fit firmly and securely in your hand. <clears throat> Take your ID out and try that. Hold that card in the palm of your hand, sliding it to the mound of Mars, which is the big muscle that holds the thumb in place, and hook over the other end of it with your middle and ring finger, that first joint where the, the <coughs> where the, where it bounces over. Grab a hold of it there, and then put your index finger and your and your little finger. On, each, on the top and the bottom of the card and feel how nice that fits in your hand because you have a legitimate ID in your hand. Feel how good that feels. Now, take your driver's license and do the same thing. And you'll notice they're the same size and they feel the same way. You can move your fingers up and down the top and the bottom of those IDs and it feels good. The, the the edge is nice. It's not. It doesn't feel like a saw. It doesn't feel like a knife cutting you. It feels good in your hand. <clears throat> that is a security feature that is used to test your IDs for when you get on board a submarine. Try that sometime. Watch the cop that has pulled you over for whatever reason. You were speeding in a. You're doing 35 in a 30 zone. Watch as he takes your ID and he holds it in his hand, right or left hand, it works the same way, 
They hold it in their hand while they're talking to you. His eyeballs are looking at you, not your ID. Instead, his hand is checking out your ID. And then he takes his thumb, which is free, not being used while he's holding that ID, and he's rubbing it over what is the top of your ID, feeling for those staple holes. If any of that feels wrong, he looks at your ID real close. Because every machine has a little bit of error in it, and maybe yours came out with a rough edge. Or maybe it right. cut a little small. So, tangent again. Passes. What's that? You went off on a tangent again. <laughs> well, I'm just showing you what a, a legitimate ID is. Now, this Real ID Act says that's not enough. And when it comes to military or it comes to TSA flying on an airplane or if it comes to going into a train station in Belgium, Brussels, or in Brussels, Belgium, that kind of ID is not sufficient. It has to be a little And maybe they can stop a terrorist from blowing up the train station. Maybe they can stop an airplane from being flown into the trade, uh, the trade center towers. Who knows? Was it really a tangent? Uh-oh, did I lose you guys? Don't tell me I lost you guys. Are you still there, Ryan? I'm here, yes. I'm just been Absolutely. listening. Are you entranced by this whole story? Yeah, I am, actually. Now, the question is, does anybody else have questions, or uh, have you come across any other questions? Hopefully we cleared up some of it, but uh, I know there's always going to be questions. I know there's one question that enters everybody's brain, but nobody ever bothers to bring it up, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about here. But what the hell? We have 20 minutes. IDs. And I also, um, and, and, and private life, when I'm not volunteering, I'm an HR consultant and I'm a construction recruiter. So, you know, if anybody has any questions about entering the construction field or, you know, um, skills in your MOS that would translate to a civilian job, I, mean, I can take a whack at those two or I can try my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, due to the fact we only have, you, me, and Jay on the line right now. Um, I'm, I'm looking to see if there's any questions being generated on Facebook or whatnot. And uh, Kara says she's she was unable to get onto the phone to talk to us. Uh, she said, I'm not in a place you can call right now. How long will you be on? And I said, till the top of the hour, because I'm not sure exactly what her time is right now. But she may not be very easy to Hold up, you can put, just just tag my name in the Facebook on the military spouses. I can answer any questions you have. I just need to say this again one more time, so just in case if anybody from ESGR or ESGR National listens, I am not an ombudsman. I cannot answer any ombudsman or USERA-type related issues. You have to call our hotline or use our online form to have any dispute, to have any USERA complaints investigated. So just please be aware of that. National, I mean... You, you think it sounds funny, but National is really strict about that. Like, that's all we can say if anybody has a very complex issue, call the hotline. Call the hotline. Well, 
They could ask me, they could tell me 10, you say a thing, and I'll say 10 times, call the hotline. Okay, so what is that phone number again, and say it slow. I'm sure, hold on. Is that the 1-800? Yes, it is, okay. 1-800-1800-336-4590, option one. And you'll be connected directly to a customer service representative who will either field a USERA inquiry, answer a question and nothing at that, or if you do have a USERA complaint or issue, a claim will be started. It will go back to the, it will go back to your respective ESGR state field committee within 24 hours and it will be assigned to an ombudsman to investigate. What about a internet site or a uh, absolutely esgr.mil esgr.mil and and also um you can use our um form if you're not comfortable calling a hotline or if you want to just do it electronically please just use our our electronic form and and. And then, and then once you click submit, it'll be fielded to the call center, and then they'll send it back to the field committee for investigating within 24 hours. Do you have an email address? For me personally? Not for you, Not for you personally, but for ESGR, for uh, like uh, maybe to the ESGR ombudsman, or if maybe just an info. Um, yes. I am on the ESGR website, and it is kind of lengthy, so please bear with me. It's osd.usera, so it's osd.usera at mail.mil. That is osd.usera, U-S-E-R-R-A, at mail.mil. And you can also use the form also. Okay, got it. All right, is there a Facebook page associated with ESGR. Yep, ESGR.mil, and then you can click right, right up at the top in the in the right-hand corner on state pages, and you can see the re respective state in your home. You can see the respective state page for your home state committee, and you'll be able to contact uh, full-time staff members. That's also one thing I didn't want to mention. ESGR, through a, through, through a private DOD contractor, we employ three, three to two full-time staff members that deal with administrative and routine day-to-day -day issues. So that is one thing that we do have support, but but the core of ESGR is volunteers outside of the full-time staff. Like we blend together with FTS and volunteer. Just wanted to throw that out there as well. So what if somebody wants to volunteer with ESGR? Because I mean, it sounds like it's a really really important important. Uh, it is, and um and I'm um, also one thing I do want to mention when you are an ESGR volunteer, you you are on orders, you 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 are entitled to deal to to per diem and room rates for that respective area in your state. So when you do say you have to go go give a unit brief and they want you to go travel three hours away to a base and you and, and you can you can stay in a hotel nearby, you will get per diem and mileage. So as an ESGR volunteer, you are never you are never out of pocket for travel expenses. Is it is it uh, pretty in, in, uh, pretty involved with the training or anything or is it? Uh, no, I mean it's just it's it's just you, you just um like I'll give you an example one one Saturday one Saturday morning it was four or five or six volunteers we just rented a hotel room in Covington Louisiana and we all just sat down and the state chair gave his introduction the military outreach gave their brief our employer outreach director gave his brief I gave my brief as the public affairs director and then our boss lift director gave her brief and that's pretty much it and then just as time goes on you you just learn how to go out. 
and do a statement of support signing, do an award ceremony. And they're like, once you keep doing it and you build up that self-confidence, it's really easy and you'll have a lot of fun doing it. Cool, cool. Just, uh, just, just, just the only thing that's a little involved is becoming ombudsman. You have to go to training. You have to be vetted. Your state chair has to approve it, and there has to be a need. And then once that, that way clears, you're allowed to become an ombudsman. But to become an ombudsman in some state committees, you probably would have to have at least a year of service. And it's a little bit more involved to be an ombudsman, and you have to learn some computer work and things like that. But other than that, you can, I mean, you can become an ESGR volunteer right now. You just got to just simply fill out the application and coordinate with your home state committee. Right, right, right. So you, this is something you highly recommend, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, like like me, I wanted to give back, but wasn't was was uh, was unable to join the military due to some due due to some circumstances beyond my control. And I just saw this, and it was the best thing I ever did. And I've met a lot of great people. I've learned a lot of great things. I've, I, I was very fortunate uh, last year. Last year in July, I was sent to our volunteer leadership training program because I was coming into a leadership position. So I learned a lot from the national level, the state level, and just. It's been fun ever since. See, when it, when it comes to male military spouseness, and yes, that is a thing, and I've coined that, and I'm going to continue to coin that. Male military spouseness. Um, <clears throat> we, we, it's hard for guys to get jobs due to it the is. fact that what we're, what we're usually involved with and what fits mostly within our comfort zone is the type of job that's labor intensive or 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 uh, what sort I'm looking for um not 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 necessarily job but each individual job uh project intensive so to get a job that is like you know being a bagger or something is not something that we will easily accept and so a lot of us like myself for instance I involved here and I volunteer. But where I volunteer at right now, I don't dare take on any other new projects. Uh, that's and one of the reasons that I'm doing so well in this Military Spouse of the Year award for this year is everybody seems to be highly impressed with how much I volunteer. So one thing that I do know, what I'm doing as volunteer can count in my resume for when my wife is no longer involved in the military. Sure, absolutely. It relates it relates to a real job. And sure, sure. ESGR. Explain to everybody again real quick what the acronym ESGR stands for and in a nutshell why it came about and why it's important. Sure. ESGR stands for Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. We're in office of the Department of Defense to to assist guardsmen and reservists with conflicts under USERA, to award supportive employers, and 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 to seek with job seeking assistance through our Hero to Hire program. We were created to give that voice to the Guard and Reserve, and 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 then once and then once USERA was enacted, about we are one of the I guess you could say one one of the additional key key investigators and key, somewhat key enforcers of you, Sarah, in, in addition with DOL vets and Department of Labor. So, all in all, if anybody does volunteer with ESGR and helps the reservists not have the problems with the employers and so that the employers are sure. actually hiring more, 
reservists and, and helping them out, thus helping out the nation in the process, you can then take that particular volunteerism, you guys will help them convert it to something that works onto the resume. You then can show that you are that you haven't just been not doing anything while you're sure absolutely absolutely and you know just to put on just to put my recruiter hat on for about a second and take my esgr hat off um i'm in a coaching (laughs) academy for staffing and recruiting and my staffing coach says it's just better to put that you did something on your resume say you cared for an elderly parent you renovated a garage you volunteered you stood on your head you did something don't ever put serious gaps in your resume now i do know like sometimes like like for example in my industry i recruit in construction you know there is you know when when work is slowed up in certain areas and things are kind of on the down slump you know that is kind of typical for people in construction to have somewhat gaps in employment but if you have huge gaps in employment you just say you did something because at the end of the day to an employer something is better than nothing to show for something absolutely and it also a lot of employers are required to uh, uh, in order to receive some sort, some types of funding, uh, make sure that they have people who have the diversity that volunteering allows. So- sure, and um, and and you know, it's real funny you mentioned that. I was at a um, local SHRM meeting here in my area um, uh, about uh, volunteerism and giving back, and then when most young millennials and my age generation, the, the 27 and 30, under 20, over 30, 20, you know, whatever and whatnot, when they see a company volunteers and gives back, they're going to want to likely 10 times more to go to work for that company and say, hey, you know, I can volunteer on my job hour and still give back and still, you know, not have to miss work and I can have the best of both worlds. You know, a lot of young millennials like that. Yep. Yep, they do. Uh, you know, I'm glad you said that. Now, we've got about seven minutes left in the show, so we're going to be wrapping things up here pretty quick. Uh, millenniums, it, what do you see, and and what do you see that millenniums really, 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 really need to hear these days? One, to volunteer. Two, to get into the military if that's what they so desire, or three, to let their spouse get into the military. What do you think millenniums need to hear? It's just that, you know, it's just that at the end of the day, you know, just everyone needs to understand the sense of service and the sense of giving back to your community and doing something bigger than yourself, whether it's you serve or your spouse serves or you you go to your you, you go to a local club and stuff envelopes for an hour each day. You, you just do anything, you know. I just feel that I just feel we we, we just need to give our time back, whether it's through military service, volunteering, just anything, you know, not just right. to check off the box or to fill up space on a resume, just to kind of know that, hey, you know, the, the, the world out here is bigger than me and there's more going on than meets the eye. And, you know, I, you just, you know, just kind of volunteering just kind of it has your cultural awareness, it's your awareness of diversity, you learn how to work as a team, you know, it's just, it's not always me, 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 I, 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 you know, it's us and them kind of thing, and 
Right. You know, and and then also, you know, through volunteering military, it's great networking opportunities. You meet people and kind of open, it kind of opens doors up for you that you would never have to get before. And just, you know, just, just everyone in their lifetime, in my opinion, needs to do any type of volunteering, whether it's working at a soup kitchen, soup kitchen, volunteering for ESGR, Habitat for Humanity, just stuffing envelopes, passing out flyers, anything. Right. Ryan, thank you very much for calling. You're welcome. I hope you've had some fun, and I hope you become a regular uh, regular uh, participant in the show. Sure, sure. It, it just kind of happened to work out with your Facebook invitation. It popped open. I just happened to call it. So, you know, hey, it all worked out for the best. Fantastic. I'm glad I'm able to help out. Jay, do you have anything else you want to throw in there, uh, especially if not to Ryan, but all, uh, dealing with uh, the real ID? And I am not. I think we pretty much covered the real ID. Uh, you know, like I said, it doesn't really impact the military ID carrying families. It might impact their right. extended family, but not that much. Okay. On the other on the other side of things, uh, we of course we had Dan on, and he was talking about uh, secondary dependent. Uh, you know, some well, you, you threw out a link to help Dan out for. Uh, the fact that he's got an uncle, or, well, not an uncle, but um, as far as he, as far as he and his family relates to this gentleman, it is an right. uncle. But how to 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 get that person possibly involved with uh, becoming a dependent? Uh, you threw out a link, which was uh, dfast.mil. Obviously, you throw the www in front of it. dfast.mil/slash/military/members/slash/secondary/dependency slash SDC dash secondary dependency underscore Marines dot HTML. I will have that in the description for the podcast a little bit later on, but tell me what that has real quick. We got about a minute. Uh, it covers what is, who is eligible as a secondary dependent and what forms that they need to sign. And, you know, it's the DD form, whatever it is. They give you the list of the forms. There's like four or five different forms that uh, covers those things. One is for parents, parents-in-law, children out uh-huh. of the block, children, and so forth and so forth, uh, and wards of the court. So I, I kind of steered Dan that way to kind of figure out where he needs to go. So what it sounds like he needs is basically what you said, have the courts award him uh, like parental status over this person so that way they, he becomes – Shown as by the state that he is a dependent of Dan and his wife, so he Which can take would, that forms, fill out that the proper forms, and then send it in with DFAS and whoever else he needs to contact with to get the secondary dependency. Right, and that may end up be proving to be a difficult thing in his case because there is no uh, hereditary tie between them, unless maybe they're able to find something some long lost cousin relationship, et cetera, et cetera. But even well, so. I mean, he could always adopt a guy. <laughs> even though he's older, you could always adopt, right? Or I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out in civilian court, but uh, if it works, it works. And then as long as the courts show that, yes, okay, this guy's now uh, being taken care of Dan and his, his family for more than 50%. If he can get the documentation from the civilian side to show the military side, hey, look, I provide more than 50% of his – you know, caregiving, he is now my dependent. 
So he can show that, then he can file that with DFAST. It takes about three to six weeks, and then they'll render a review. If they they fail the review or the, the review says, no, we don't, we're not going to consider him as a dependent, he can reapply for the dependency status again. Wow. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Adoption. Actually sounds like a – that might actually prove to be valuable. I like it. That that could work. Oh, well, hey, hopefully Dan's listening and he caught that and has a chance to look into it. Um, Jay, thank you very much for joining in and helping me out being the co-host. Ryan, definitely, thank you for being here. Absolutely, anytime. I'll, I'll post a lot of stuff on the Facebook so everybody be on the lookout for it. You got it. I will put what I can in the description. Folks, we'll see you all next week. This is uh, Chris David, also Coke Park, signing out. The views and opinions expressed on Male Military Spouse Radio are not those of the management of MachoSpouse.com or any of their sponsors and shall be deemed just that, opinions and views. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.